Let me just start off by saying something we all know, sort of a duh moment. Uh, How we communicate is important. How we communicate is important. The content of our message in communication is of utmost importance. And how we, utmost importance, and how we communicate it is also, of course, very important. Let me read you a poem that you may not recognize at first because of how I communicate it to you. This is nerdy. This is good stuff here. If you can recognize this, you're my hero. Scintillate, scintillate. Globule vivific. Some people say globule vivific. Fain would I fathom thy nature specific. Loftily poised in the ether capacious. (laughs) Strongly resembling a gem carbonaceous. Spoken a little more plainly, it goes like this. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky. Strongly resembling a gem carbonaceous. Now, because I know some of you perceive me to be loftily poised in the ether capacious, let me tell you a little of my story about how God exposed my lack of righteousness. (laughs) Yay. Let me tell you a little bit about my story about how God exposed my lack of righteousness. There won't be any TMI moments. You can relax. Let me just start by saying this. For a long time, for way too long, I liked to think that I was good. I liked to think I was good. And so I cultivated that perception. For a good long while, I was the all-American boy with straight A's and all-star trophies. No, really, lots of little trophies that I kept in a box. <laughs> My wife went to mocking me laugh, mockingly uh, um, give me a hand from the front row. I got rid of my trophies a couple of years ago, finally. I cultivated the art of making sure everyone around me knew what a genuinely great guy I was. I cultivated that art. I was good at it. I laughed at the right times when others told jokes. I inserted the sort of witty comment at the opportune moment. I said the encouraging word because I knew somebody else would like it and because I knew they needed it. And I paid attention in class and uh, in sports practices so that I would get good grades and be made captain of the team. The pinnacle for me, the pinnacle of my trophy collection, was when I was voted my senior year best all-around In high school. Which sounds great. But I think looking back, it was primarily because I made sure everyone knew how great I was. I cultivated that art of making sure that everybody else's perceptions of me were what I thought they should be. So when I got out of high school, I began to notice chinks in my own armor. Imperfections in my Uh, well-cultivated, all-American boy image. So the pretense was over and reality began to set in. I began to see that I couldn't hang in normal adult life where actual responsibility was required. When push came to shove and things became hard, I started to see that I was inadequate for the task of normal adult responsibility. I began to see that at heart, I was a pretender. 
because I had become the king of manipulating others' perceptions so that I came off looking good. And I know I'm not the only one in the room who's really good at that. Turns out, turns out I wasn't actually good. I was just good at making others think I was good, so I would think I was good. I wasn't righteous, I was self-righteous. I remember one particular time in college when a girl turned me down for a date. I know, unthinkable, right? <clears throat> she gave me some sort of super spiritual Jesus juke about how she wanted to protect her heart and keep it pure for the Lord until He sent her the right man. <laughs> and, and with it, she communicated to me that I was not the right man. Now, it sounds a little bit silly, but I'm ashamed to say that I I remember thinking at the time, seriously? You can't turn me down for a date. I'm everything you claim to want in a guy. It's like it didn't compute for me, (laughs) which means I began to learn that it was even worse than I thought. Apparently, it wasn't enough to make others think I was good. It wasn't even something I was very good at anymore. Apparently that girl who turned me down saw through the facade and I was beginning to be left behind by more mature and more faithful followers of Christ who actually cared about God's glory more than their own instead of just saying that they cared about God's glory and cultivating the art of everyone around them hearing them say they care about God's glory. So I was I was exposed. I was exposed. You ever been exposed like that? Vulnerable like that? Has your inner self-righteousness or pride been sort of uncovered in a way that felt like, uh-oh, time to put on the fig leaves, time to hide behind some trees like Adam and Eve? We don't like, we don't like being exposed. We don't like it. It makes us feel vulnerable. In fact, it is actually painful. But it is exactly that exposure of our lack of righteousness before God that brings us to the recognition of our need for a Savior. Let me say it again because it's huge for today. It is the exposure of our lack of righteousness before God that brings us to the recognition of our need for a Savior. The truth of the matter is that at the heart, at the bottom line, we all lack righteousness before God. No matter how many trophies you had, no matter how many degrees you had, no matter how many this, how good you look, how many that, when measured next to the perfection of an infinite and holy and perfect God, our silly little trophies seem infinitely small and seem like rather silly attempts to look good if we're honest. And if we are to have a relationship with Him, then that needs to be exposed. No matter however painful a process that can be, that lack of righteousness before God must be exposed before a perfect and holy God before we can even know that we need Him. So before we get to steps 2, 3, 4, and 5 about this question of are you right with God and how righteousness helps us communicate the gospel, we need to get this point straight first. 
Our lack of righteousness must, no matter how painful, must be exposed before a holy and perfect God if we are to even know that we need Him. Which makes me fear for some of how we've presented the gospel to people. You can sit in a pew for a long time and not come to grips with that pain of being exposed so that you know you need a Savior. You can wear the t-shirt for a long time and not even know that you're unrighteous. So let's be careful with the gospel. Let's make sure we keep it plain and simple. That's the goal today. We begin a five-week series called Are You Right With God? We're going to look at Romans 1 through 5. Today we're just going to look at Romans 1. We're going to look at Romans 1 through 5 as a biblical way to think about the basic gospel message. And for us, the first Christian, we talk about the three C's. This is a third C kind of series. We talk about celebrate God, cultivate growth. This is a communicate the gospel kind of series. We talk about communicating the gospel in two particular ways, in word and deed. We don't say or, not word or deed. We say word and deed because we believe that they go together biblically. You don't do one without the other. We assume that this is both a a verbal communication and a behavioral communication. It's the word spoken and lived. And you cannot separate the two. You cannot preach the gospel without words because deeds alone may not lead somebody to understand their need for God. It has to be both. But on the scales of word and deed, if we're thinking frankly about who we are and how we communicate the gospel, we're less good on the words part. We like to default to deeds alone so that we don't have to embarrass ourselves. We like to avoid having to actually speak the word side, speak the gospel because of fear of sounding offensive. So we rationalize that we don't really have to actually say anything about the truth of the gospel. We don't have to actually say anything about God being righteous and me being unrighteous or that person to whom we're talking being unrighteous. We rationalize that we don't have to say it And we stick to the lie that preaching the gospel in deeds only is enough. God will do the rest. He can, sure. (laughs) But that's not how the gospel is presented to us. The reality is, and if you're taking notes, it's a bit convoluted, but this is a good one. Not quite tweetable, but close. The reality is that when you communicate by not communicating the righteousness of God, that can be damning for the hearer. When you communicate the gospel by not communicating the righteousness of God, we'll talk about what that means in a little bit here. When you communicate by not communicating the righteousness of God, it can be damning for your hearer. So we bear more responsibility than we may think by our silence that is usually actually fear. So let's recover communicate the gospel in word. We want to give you an accurate biblical vocabulary for communicating the gospel. So we're going to ask these kinds of questions. What does it mean to lack righteousness? Why is that important? How can understanding the exposure of my lack of righteousness help us in communicating the gospel in word? And how do you learn to tell your story of how the gospel of God's righteousness saved you? Because what I did at the beginning of the story beginning of the sermon, is I told you my story about my lack of righteousness. 
I gave you an example of that. We want you to have a biblical vocabulary for communicating the gospel with God's righteousness juxtaposed against your unrighteousness. Yeah, we want you to take the fall. Because then the gospel gets to be the gospel. Then discipleship is actually about making followers of Christ and not us. Are we preaching yet? Here's the big idea. It's on the back of the study notes. Today's big idea is that the simple message of the gospel must, must is italicized for a reason, must include the idea that God's righteousness exposes man's lack of righteousness. We cannot exclude the idea of God's righteousness. Let's read together Romans 1, 15 to 17. Really great passage here. It's the key to all of Romans in these two verses in 16 and 17, but we're going to tack on verse 15 for a particular reason. Read along, if you would, please. 15 through 17, it says this. Paul, writing to the uh, Romans, I am eager, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Jump back in verse 15. It says this. So I am eager. Paul has just got done. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He just got done before verse 15 telling the Roman church that he had wanted to come visit uh, numerous times, in fact, but he was not able to. He couldn't. So it says he was eager to come to them to preach the gospel. He wasn't eager to do something else so much as he was to preach the gospel. We know his eagerness isn't just something he manufactured. It's something he felt called to by God. We know that from the previous context. Look back at verse 1 in Romans 1. The word gospel shows up 16 times in Romans. This is the first one in verse 1. It shows up in verse 9 for the second time. And then also in verse 15 for the third time. We'll jump back there in just a second. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. This is the greeting to the letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And then he says this, cool phrase, set apart for the gospel of God. He defines who he is with this phrase. He says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God. He establishes at the beginning that the purpose of his calling is in fact the gospel. He reiterates that same purpose in verse 9, chapter 1. He says, for God is my witness, if you want to turn there, just a smidge uh, more there. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his son. This helps us understand how important the basic message of the gospel is for Paul in Romans. In fact, the gospel message is the whole shooting match in Romans. And he says he's set apart for that purpose. So he establishes that he's all about the gospel. So jump forward to verse 16. This is where we begin to see the righteousness of God being, hand, uh, being part and parcel of the gospel. Look at verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Then he tells us why. For it is the per- power of God for salvation. Now, if you're a circler, if you're a note taker, circle that word is there. That word is is important. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul is not saying here that the gospel like brings power. He's not saying it has some power. 
It's almost like that wasn't strong enough. So he says, he's saying here that it is the power. The gospel is the power to save. That's why he isn't ashamed of it, because it's the power of God to save that works. He says the gospel is the power of God. In other words, it's not our power. It's the power of God, of or from God. Power of God for salvation, meaning God's power to save from sin. He says that power is available to everyone who believes. And he adds the Jew and the Greek, which is pretty significant there. Then he says this. This is a power-packed verse, verse 17. For in it, circle that word it there, draw an arrow back to the word gospel in verse 16, because that's what it refers to. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. This word righteousness, of course, is in general terms just a word that means the state of being right. It's the state of, of God being perfectly right and fully justified in all of his ways, in all of his thoughts, in every, every part of his being. So his righteousness is not just like this intellectually correct state of thinking and, and, and of thinking correctly, but it's a perfectly right and holy in every aspect kind of rightness. It's a way of saying his infinite perfection and holiness wrapped up in one word, righteousness. So what we've said so far is that the gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation because it speaks of God's righteousness. The gospel is the power of God to save because it speaks of God's righteousness and our unrighteousness is the contrast. So don't miss this. Inherent in the message of the truth of God's perfection, His righteousness, is the power to convict of our unrighteousness. So that when we place faith in God and in His righteousness, then He empowers us to live by that faith. You can't live by faith if it's not faith in His Perfect, perfection and righteousness. So inherent in the message of the truth of God's perfection is the power to convict of our unrighteousness so that we place faith in God and in His righteousness, thereby enabling us to live by faith. So, so this, is, this is what we mean when we say that the gospel message includes God's righteousness and that it has the power to expose our lack of righteousness. If the gospel in your life hasn't exposed, even if painfully, your lack of righteousness, you've not believed in the gospel, Paul is saying. If your easy believism of following Jesus didn't cost that exposure to your unrighteousness, then what did it cost you? And what was the process? And to what were you saved? If not, your own self-righteousness or somebody else's system of counting you righteous. If the gospel message doesn't include God's righteousness, then it's not the gospel. It's some other message of our self-sufficiency. So this is a really important 
point we're lingering on today. If your story, if your story of coming to Christ includes more in your heart and mind about your self-sufficiency than God's righteousness, then maybe the gospel under which you were saved isn't this gospel, but it was somebody else's. Paul finishes up in verse 17 by saying that the righteousness of God is revealed, it's, it's shown, it's made known from faith for faith. Just a little comment on this phrase, uh, for faith, from faith. It's actually a pretty complicated little structure and phrase here. There are lots of things we could say about it. Uh, but for our purposes... Suffice it to say that Paul is stressing the fact that it is a faith process through and through that makes recognition of God's righteousness happen. It's a faith process from beginning to end that makes recognition of God's righteousness happen. He's saying that we are alive because of faith. He says the righteous shall live by faith. We're alive because of faith. So think about this, working, working backwards from where we've come in these two verses. This is super cool if you're taking notes. Faith is triggered by the recognition that we are unrighteous because God is righteous. Faith is triggered by the recognition that we are unrighteous because God is righteous. I fear the extent to which we impose our little G Gospels on one another. And we make disciples of us. We're pretty good at making disciples of one another. When the recognition of God's righteousness contrasted with ours is not in the mix. It becomes about the way that I want you to be righteous. It becomes about the what did you do for me gospel. The gospel is only the gospel and the transaction is His righteousness down to us. Nothing else is the gospel. So when you tell your story, when, when you're talking about your faith in Christ that triggered your unrighteousness because of God's righteousness. Make sure you think about it as a transaction that is from top down. Everything else is us works. How do you tell your story of coming to know Christ? Does it include God's righteousness as the fundamental element that exposes your lack of righteousness? I hope you can think about your story in those terms. It should because then you know your need for a Savior. And you can communicate that to others. Simply put, friends, the Gospel is this. Though 
We were exposed sinners whose unrighteousness makes us unworthy of being in God's presence. Though we are exposed sinners whose unrighteousness makes us unworthy of being in His presence, by faith in Him, in His perfection, lived in Jesus, we can know God and be in His presence forever. May that be the story of our lives and the way we learn to communicate the Gospel as we know it. Let's pray.